In the book of Haggai, when they were rebuilding the temple, it had been destroyed by the Babylonians some 70 years earlier, and they were attempting to rebuild it. They got the foundation laid and started work on it. Less than a month into the project, God could see that his people needed some encouragement. There were many looking at it saying, I remember what used to be. I remember that it used to be so much bigger. It used to be so much grander. When when we when they built Solomon's temple, it was overlaid with gold and it was this beautiful sight. And now the temple that's being built was less than half the size of the former. They used nice materials, but nowhere near the level that was in the old temple. They looked at it and it looked pitiful in comparison. But God told them, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. There is coming a day when God would fulfill all of that promise, but he's already fulfilled part of it. And this morning, we are going to see the fulfillment of prophecy before our eyes. And if you'll just open your eyes, if you'll just hear the words of God, They'll have an impact on your life. Luke chapter 2 is where we'll be this morning. Jesus has been born. He, The shepherds have come to see Him. We've celebrated last week Christmas. The incarnation, God becoming human flesh, taking the form of a baby. Not really how we would expect it to go. We would expect Him to rend the heavens. We would expect Him to come down with great light with the glory of angelic hosts at his back, praising him. And we get some of that, but we don't really expect a baby wrapped up like a sacrificial lamb laid in a feeding trough. We don't really expect one that would have to grow up. And yet when God puts on human flesh, it's exactly what he does. He was circumcised on the eighth day, the Bible tells us, And named Jesus, just like the angel said he should be. And after a period of 32 more days, so he's 40 days old, it's time to go to the temple. They would have gone for the purification rites for Mary, but also because Jesus is the firstborn, he had to be redeemed. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight. I'm going to get into some of the particulars. But what I want you to look at, what I want you to pay attention to, is what happens in the temple. And it all centers around a man named Simeon. Read with me. In fact, let's all stand together as we read. Luke chapter 2, we'll read from verse 25 through 35. Now, this is God's Word. If you let it, it will change your life. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's pray. Father, one who reveals the thoughts of many hearts. I pray this morning that we, like Simeon, will see your salvation. And I pray that it will change us. Use your words in this time to do your work. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. The, the, um, it was required that uh, mothers, when they gave birth to a child, after the days of purification were ended, they had to go to make sacrifices. There were two sacrifices that they would make, a sin offering and a burn offering. The sin offering is a way of getting forgiveness for your sins. You, you, can't, you can't really touch anything or be around anything that's holy, and so you're ritually unclean uh, after you give birth to a child. And so they would atone for sin during that time. You, you can't just go sacrifice and, and make good with God during that time. And so they would offer sin offering. They would also offer a burnt offering that was almost more like a commitment. It was like a way of saying, not only am I asking God to forgive my sins, I'm asking him to help me not to sin. I'm asking him to help me to stay pure. I don't just want God to take away the things he's done I, 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 that I've already done that are wrong. I want him to help me walk in the right way from this way forward. And so both offerings together would be offered uh, for Mary. But it was a family affair. And so they all go together. Joseph and Mary bring the child in. They're going to dedicate him to God's work. They're going to, to show God this child is his. He said, firstborn belong to me. This is them making good on that. It's very careful. Luke is very careful to show that they're obeying the law every step of the way. They're obeying the angel's command to name him Jesus when he's circumcised on the eighth day. They're obeying the law's commands to make purification. They're obeying the law's commands to redeem the firstborn child. They're following the law's commands. Okay? He's very careful to make sure that we get that. But while they're there, they encounter this man. We don't really know that he's old. We assume he's old because um, he's saying now, you're letting your servant depart in peace. We assume that he's at the end of his life. But we don't really know quite how old he is. All we do know about him is that he's righteous. He's a good man. And he's devout. He takes his faith very seriously. I wonder in the history of the world how many righteous and devout people we could find throughout the ages. People who not only did good things, but who took faith in God seriously. Built their lives on it. Not just going to church once a week. Not even just going to church every time the doors are open. But with diligent in prayer, in studying their Bibles, in meditating on the Word, in fasting, 
How many people throughout the ages could we see that dedicated their lives to loving and serving God and took it with the greatest amount of seriousness? How many people could we find throughout the ages like Simeon who dedicated themselves to God's work? In fact, he even calls himself a servant. It's not just a passing thing for him. Religion isn't a vacuum attachment that you put on the end. This man, he lives for this. He lives to serve God. And we find when he walks in, in the Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit into the temple, he walks in. And I don't know if he sees it first or if it takes him a few minutes. I don't know if he's already there when they walk in. I don't know exactly how it happens. But he's in the temple and he sees Joseph and Mary with this baby. And the Spirit says, the one. Now, I told you you would see this one from before before you die. You will see my anointed one. God's Spirit speaking to him. Just like the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are his children. In the same way the Spirit was bearing witness with Simeon's spirit saying, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. You're going to see the anointed one. You're going to see my Christ. And when that baby and those parents come into the temple... And when Simeon gets a look, it's like a big flashing sign over their head that says, this is him. It's the same kind of spirit that showed John in the wilderness. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I can see him. I know it's him. There's something about this Jesus that screams out that he is God's man, that he is God. There's something special about this one. And Simeon sees it. He sees the salvation of God. And there's a couple of things that I want to show you from what Simeon says. I want to zero in on what he says. i show you a couple of things about this salvation. First, that salvation is adorable. I'm not just saying that because he's a one-month-old baby. It's something to behold with the eye. Look in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. The wording here is, I have served you faithfully and completed the job you've wanted me to do, and now you have, you have freed me from my slavery. He says, I've been your slave. I've done what you want me to do. I have fulfilled my purpose. I have been the watchman waiting for the Messiah that you have called me to be, and now you've shown me who he is. I've been able to see the Messiah. Now I can go. Now you're letting me go. Yes, it's a euphemism for dying, but it's so much more. This is, this is the culmination of a life lived for God. He's saying, now I finished the work you sent me here to do. You know, Some of us start well and don't end. Not Simeon. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And if I could add the parentheses here, and it's adorable. Not just because it's a baby. I think when I I saw that, my, my eyes have seen your salvation. A couple verses started coming to mind. This isn't the first time that Biblical authors have talked about seeing God or seeing his salvation. I thought back to the story of Job. You remember the story of Job. This is a man who is who is a reputation for being righteous and he's rich. And Satan says, well, no wonder he serves you. You've given him all this stuff. Let me take it all away. 
And God says, all right, take it all away. Still serves God. And Satan comes back and says, yeah, well, you know, yeah, okay, he doesn't have stuff. Take away his family. Take away his health. Get rid of everything. Watch him curse you. God says, all right, go for it. These three friends are talking back and forth with Job, accusing Job of sin because they think God is just repaying him for wrong that he's done. Job says, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. Back and forth and back and forth. And finally, God speaks. And after God speaks, Job says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. You know, I, I had I had sat on my father's knee and heard stories about you. I, I've heard all kinds of things. I'd heard how you've done certain things in the past. I've, I've, I've seen things in my own life. I'd heard of you, but now my eye has seen you. You see, there, there was, there's a difference between when Job had just heard of God and when he had experienced God. Oh, he served God before. Don't get me wrong. But now he's seen God face to face. By the way, when God spoke, he put Job in his place. Turned out Job was a sinner, but that's not why he was being, going through all the troubles that he went through. Mm. The psalmist, the psalmist sometimes just takes the things that you want to say, but don't even know how to say them, and he just puts it on paper. I mean, that's just the gift of a musician, artistic type of person all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. This isn't something for you to hear about. This is not just something for you to, to, to make notes of. This isn't just something for you to intellectually learn. This is something for you to experience. Taste and see. Oh, that you would taste and see. Oh, if you would just, if you would just open your eyes and see God. See how good He is. Oh, then you'd know the blessing of taking refuge. Oh, then you would know. Oh, I just, I can't even describe. You just have to experience it yourself. I thought about Isaiah. You know, sometimes it's pleasant and it's good. Sometimes it's just powerful. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. This isn't just for people who, who want a nice little neat God that they could take out of their box whenever they need comfort and put them back in. This is a God who, who works in such mighty ways that all you can do is just be flabbergasted. Seeing what He's doing, all flesh shall see it together. Those who believe and those who don't, those who want to see it, and those who want to hide from it, all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In other words, you can take it to the bank. Isaiah 52, verse 10. I love this one. The Lord has bared his holy arm. He rolls up his sleeves. And as Rich Mullins said, he ain't just putting on the ritz. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Oh, would you just see it? The salvation of God is adorable. It's something to behold. It's something to get lost in. I think of holding each of my babies and and getting lost for a few minutes, looking at them, James and Mitchell and Savannah, Brantley, I couldn't lose myself in his eyes because his cheeks were so puffy he couldn't open them for several days. But there was just something about him. I didn't want to look away. How much more true of that is Christ? 
God putting his anointed. No wonder Simeon blesses God when he sees this baby. Because God's salvation is just adorable. Not only is it adorable, it's also available. Look in verses 31 and 32. My eyes have seen your salvation, verse 30, 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. That Preparing in the presence of others, that's Psalm 23, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God has this habit of, of putting things together in such a way that everyone else looks on in astonishment. You've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Salvation is available to the Gentiles who are walking in darkness. Isaiah 49, 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. That That's not enough. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, it's not enough for you to save this little people. I'm going to make you the savior of all. Back in 32, uh, uh, a light for revelation in the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Salvation is available to the Israelites who were living and walking in shame, defeated by other military powers. Look in Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. Do you remember the ninth of the ten plagues? Darkness over Israel, but light in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were. It may look dark, y'all. That's why we're the light of the world. Don't hide your light. You see, salvation is available to the rich and to the poor. It's available to the exalted and the lowly. It's available to the powerful and the powerless. It's available to the famous and the forgotten, to the royalty and the peasantry, to the bankers, the lawyers, the doctors, the line cooks the street sweepers, the groundskeepers, the scientists and the roofers, the teachers and the stay-at-home parents, the drug dealers, no matter what background you have or what heinous sin you've committed against God, you have the salvation of God available to you because God has paid for it with His own blood. This Jesus Christ whom Simeon is worshiping, who Simeon is adoring, is the same Christ who makes salvation available to any who will call on the name of the Lord. Let me tell you something. When we pick and choose who we're going to tell or how we're going to tell, when we pick and choose who can walk in the doors, who can be here, who can be a part, when we pick and choose who is capable, who is available, who is the one that we're going to open up to and the ones over here that we're just not going to, we're just going to reject them, we're just not going to tell them, we're just going to leave them out in the cold, we are defying the God of the universe. The gospel must go forth to all nations, to all peoples. And shame on me and shame on us. If we don't do it, because salvation is available to all. Oh, it's adorable. Oh, it's available. But I'd be remiss if I 
didn't tell you that salvation is also avoidable, even though he makes it available to all. Not all receive it. Mary and Joseph were astounded at what Simeon was telling them. How does a complete stranger know what God is doing? Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Look, Mary, you can hear his voice go lower. You can see the intensity on his face. I can almost see him biting his lip, wishing that he didn't have to say this. I can see him pausing, having to muster the courage to utter the next words. Mary, this this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The word fall is the word for destruction. The word rising is the word for resurrection. We don't know if it's the same people that fall and then rise. We don't know if it's different people. Kind of hard to tell. I happen to think it's a little of both. I, I happen to think they're separate groups, but with a lot of overlap. Because I'll tell you one thing. I sure was riding high before I figured out that I needed a Savior. And that's not to say that God has made me exalted. I don't want my head to get too big. But it is to say that I had to come face to face with who I was before I trusted Christ. And maybe that's part of this. Maybe there are some that fall that don't rise because they refuse. I mean, after all, look at the last part. Child's appointed for a sign to be opposed. Go back one verse. He's appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, but he's also appointed to be a sign that's opposed. Nowhere is God's message clearer than in the person of Jesus Christ, and yet many opposed him. Some because they were too powerful, some because what he was saying was outrageous, some because they didn't get it, some because they didn't want to. Some just wanted the free meals, none of the responsibility. But for whatever the reason, he was God's sign. And he was opposed. And then verse 35, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. You're going to suffer because of this child. We think of Messiah. We think of the glory. The glory of Christmas. And the wonderful joy of, of birth. Of this Christ being born. And how wonderful it must have been for Mary. And she's treasuring the things in her heart. She had to be on a bit of a spiritual high. Just ecstatic that God would use her. Amazed that he could work through her life. And Simeon pours a bucket of ice water on top of her head and says, Mary, this isn't all good. You're going to suffer. You're going to watch your son be opposed. You're going to struggle to understand why. You're going to see him dying on the cross. What little bit you can see through eyes full of tears. And all of this leads to, it leads to the point where this really hits home so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, this Jesus, he forces you to make a choice. It's like a stone. A stone, you can use a stone to build things. Build a wall, build a bridge, build a building. Stones. You put them together and build it up. They're wonderful things. But you can also trip over them, fall on them, get crushed by them. There's both a benefit and a danger. And it all depends on what you do with that stone. Peter puts it this way in his first letter. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor, he says, is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, 
They stumble because they disobeyed the word just as they were destined to. It's like a stone. Jesus can be something beneficial, something detrimental. Accepting him as your master, that's building your life on the rock. Strong and secure from the gale force winds. A tumultuous life and an impending death. But rejecting him, well, that's falling over the stone. God has given us salvation in his son. Or at least he's offered it. What have you done with it? Look careful at this Christ. See how adorable he is, not just as a baby, but as a savior. See how available he makes salvation. Oh, it's extremely expensive. You can't possibly afford it. But he's not asking you for payment. He's made payment. He is asking you to live in light of it. But it's also avoidable. You don't have to take it. So what are you going to do with God's offer of salvation? Some of you have already accepted that offer. And I pray that you continue to live your life in light of it, making it available to others. But some of you may be at that point where you haven't done that yet. I'm going to be up here at the front. While we sing this invitation, I'm going to ask you, just just come. And I'd love to help you come to meet this salvation of God that will change your life. Let me pray for you. Father, in this time, we ask you to lead us. Do your work in us, whatever that may be. Lord, help us respond like Simeon with obedience, going where you lead us, doing what you call us to do. God, may we look full at your wonderful face so that the things of earth grow strangely dim. God, bring salvation to those who need it this morning. In Christ's name, amen.